NetApp's on-prem archives, flipping off Flipper Zero, Bard has evolved into Gemini, no such thing as a free hypervisor, Alcyon picks some new partners, and we take a closer look at the Cohesity merger with Veritas in this week's episode of the Gestalt IT Rundown. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this special Valentine's Day episode of the Gestalt IT Rundown. My name is Tom Hollingsworth, and in my heart, you're all my Valentines, because it is National Have a Heart Day, which I feel like is something that's kind of important for Valentine's Day. And joining me, of course, is my wonderful co-host, Mr. Stephen Foskett. Stephen, virtual roses and chocolates to you for this, this happiest of days. Thank you so much, Tom. And a virtual Ferris wheel for you here on National Ferris Wheel Day. Ah, uh, yes. The, uh, the thing that makes my heart stop. Uh, but not these stories, because these stories get it racing, because we have a lot of great uh, news coverage that we want to get to uh, in this episode. And I wanted to start off with something that I know is near and dear to your heart, Stephen, and, and that's tape. Uh, because NetApp and SpectraLogic are ready to bring Glacier-style storage to on-prem data centers. The announcement is going to match up NetApp's storage grid S3-based object storage with SpectraLogic's leading archival tape technology. The goal is to provide a tier for storage grid that will allow large amounts of data to be object data to be stored for long periods of time without clogging up the object data store while also being faster than Amazon Glacier and probably a little bit cheaper too. You may be familiar with Amazon Glacier because it is a very popular service for long-term archival storage if you're on the AWS platform. But Stephen, given all the advantages that NetApp and SpectraLogic bring to the table, is this something that people are going to want to embrace for their on-prem solution needs? Well, I definitely think this is going to find a great market in uh, archival applications. Um, those of you who aren't aware, uh, Storage Grid is a long-running um, object storage uh protocol uh, product from NetApp. Um, it has a lot of adoption among big enterprise companies as basically an on-prem archive of data, of you know, semi-structured data. Um, Black Pearl uh, is the SpectraLogic object interface to their tape libraries. Uh, they introduced this quite a while back. I was actually at the introduction, as weird as it sounds, um, but it was like 10 something years ago. Anyway, um, yeah, Black Pearl is uh, pretty cool in that it gives an object interface, an S3 interface to uh, tape libraries, basically. And, and if you're not familiar with SpectraLogic, they make some of the biggest, baddest, awesomest tape libraries out there. And I know you're like, wait, biggest, baddest, awesomest tape libraries? Really? No, really. These things are cool. This is what you see in a movie or something, right? Uh, as you mentioned, uh, I am bullish on tape. Back on uh, January 17th, we covered the story that um, Hammerspace was enabling tape as an alternative solution for their uh, global file system. Uh, this is kind of a similar pitch in that, you know, we're kind of starting to get real here and say, wait a second, maybe tape makes some sense. And as a reminder, it absolutely does make sense because it is lower power, lower cost, and yeah, way lower performance than disk. But if you intelligently partner it with disk and flash with software like, oh, let's say Storage Grid and Black Pearl, well, then suddenly it makes a lot more sense. It works a lot better. Um, it, it, everything just works. One of the things we don't know about Glacier is we don't know for sure that Glacier is tape. I have heard that it is, and I've heard that it isn't. And it kind of doesn't matter because whatever it is, it is a cheaper way of storing uh, data in the cloud using the S3 protocol. This is a very similar product. Um, in fact, they're calling it 
Glacier, the, the quote in the article that we're linking has a NetApp uh, product manager calling this Spectra on-prem Glacier solution, which is interesting because I'm pretty sure Glacier is a trademark name by Amazon, not just a generic protocol name, but I suppose it could be a generic name. Um, but essentially, that's what we've got here. We've got a, um, a nice uh, com combined offering. Is this thing going to rock the world? Oh, I don't know about that. But if you're a NetApp customer, if you have a ton of data in Storage Grid, I think a solution like this probably makes a ton of sense for you. Just when you thought it was safe to unlock your car, open source strikes again. The Canadian government announced last week that they're banning the import of Flipper Zero, a popular open source hardware platform that can clone and broadcast radio signals. The Flipper Zero has been marketed as a hobbyist device since its introduction, and people have been using them for all sorts of fun ways, including turning off loud TVs at the bar, uh, opening garage doors, that sort of thing. The news comes as a surprise to enthusiasts as the attacks described by the Canadian government require very specific conditions and additional hardware modifications that aren't possible with the Flipper Zero. Tom, is this ban going to stop auto theft? I would like to welcome you to Security Theater. Now, I here's the thing. The Flipper Zero is one of those cool products that somebody built and they wanted to play around with it. And, okay, I will freely admit that there are some people who are using them for things that they're not supposed to. But that requires a little bit of effort. The default firmware that comes with the Flipper Zero is not capable of doing all of this ridiculousness. It really was kind of marketed originally as turn off those loud TVs at the bar. Only it wasn't done in such a way as like, you know, as seen on TV kind of ads. You had to get a custom firmware from places that would allow you to do some of these more advanced things. But once you did, you could come up with all kinds of crazy things like, you know, popping open those... Uh, human interface devices doors, you know, the ones that have the mag cards that you need to use. I thought that was a pretty cool deal. They actually just announced that you can clip a little uh, Raspberry Pi style board onto it and turn it into a game platform. It's a hobbyist device. The problem is, yes, it had the ability to pop open car doors. There are videos, if you look for them, of people doing this with Teslas and Hondas. And I believe the other one was um, obviously some Acuras and, and some other things that are kind of based on the same code. What does that say? Does it say that we've created this massively evil hacking tool? Or does it say that car manufacturers were not securing the communications between their car remotes and their cars? Because if you dig into what's going on here, you'll find out very quickly that this does not actually work for a lot of more advanced things. So for example, if your car has an app that allows you to start the car or unlock the doors remotely, it will not work with a Flipper Zero because that communication is encrypted. The other thing that you, like when you start digging into this, so you, you have to realize that yes, the Flipper Zero is a very powerful platform, but it's also being mischaracterized by a lot of people who are like, I saw a thing online where people were able to pop open the car doors in the trunk from a quarter of a mile away. Yeah, the radio on a Flipper Zero is not nearly that powerful. You actually have to order a completely different part online, modify it yourself to boost the signal. And oh, by the way, in order to be able to clone the remote, you either have to have the little key fob pressed right against the Flipper Zero when you go to unlock the car, or you have to be standing next to the car whenever someone tries to unlock it. Do you see all of the problems here? But the, the ultimate thing is not talking to Xennials, Millennials, 
or Gen X, you know, basically the people that watch this program. It's talking to the 65, 70-year-old people who don't understand how technology works, who all they hear is, you could unlock my fancy new car and steal it, and they freak out. So, of course, they're the only people left that still write letters to their politicians or make phone calls on a landline to their politicians. So they swarmed the Canadian Prime Minister's office and were like, you need to stop this now. Smart Money would say, why don't you make the car manufacturers secure that communication? Sure, it's going to cost a little bit more, but we already did this. Because remember how garage door openers used to have the same problem? Now you have rolling codes. And those same rolling codes make it so difficult to open the damn garage door with like home link systems that there's like this whole like YouTube process that you have to go through. We fixed that problem because the outcry was so big that they had no other choice. Now it's car manufacturers turn. I don't think that this is going to be a huge long-term deal. Yes, the Canadians are going to lose out on the ability to get their flipper zero unless they sneak it over the border in a bottle of maple syrup. Realistically speaking, it's time for the manufacturers to go back to the drawing board and fix these problems and stop blaming open source hackers. This is just as dumb as blaming Captain Crunch for putting a whistle in that John Draper used to break the phone system. Steven, Google is starting to roll out their flagship Gemini LLM into their product lineup. Now, this is a hot new multimodal algorithm, and it's being positioned to uh, be able to understand nuance and information that it analyzes, and it can even take on more complicated subjects like physics and math. So I should probably get it to do my homework. Uh, one of the biggest changes now that you may realize is that the product formerly known as Google Bard has been rebranded as Gemini and will only be available through a $20 a month subscription. Analysts believe that integrating this Gemini advanced platform into the rest of the Google app suite will help users with innovation and creativity. Now, Stephen, there's been a lot of discussion about whether or not Google can actually come up with a realistic competitor to what OpenAI is putting out there. Do you think Gemini is going to be able to do that? Yeah, I absolutely do think that Google's going to be able to do that. And it, honestly, it feels a little bit inevitable that uh, other competitors would be able to come up and compete with, uh, with OpenAI's ChatGPT and surpass it. Uh, the interesting aspects of Gemini, as noted by our colleagues, uh, Mark Bicu and Paul Nashawati at the Futurum uh, research side, have, uh, is the fact that Gemini, as you say, is multimodal. In other words, it incorporates reasoning capabilities beyond just written language. So uh, Gemini is able to bring in all sorts of other types of data. It also is able to perform or outperform GPT-4 in most tasks. And it seems so far like it's outperforming significantly uh, GPT in, um, well, the kind of tasks that you mentioned that would require, I, I, I hesitate to say reasoning because I don't want to uh, anthropomorphize an AI model, but, you know, figuring out uh, more advanced concepts than, than, than just, uh, you know, text transformation. The other thing that's interesting about this is the way that Google is deploying it. As you mentioned, it's available to consumers as a plus package for their uh, subscribers. It, it also is going to be deployed on phones, not just Android phones, but also it's going to be available on iOS, uh, which gives Google a nice platform for this. Now, of course, uh, ChatGPT is also available in multiple platforms, but not quite so integrated as Google is pitching Gemini. It seems that uh, Gemini is going to be right there um, on you know, mobile platforms, desktop platforms, web platforms, 
uh, with uh, their Google uh, Office applications, their productivity applications, uh, Google Drive, uh, photos, that sort of thing. Uh, this makes it a lot more useful and a lot more friendly and frankly leads us to where I think all this is going where the AI hype dies down and it becomes just another part of the overall application stack. After all, that's what Microsoft is doing with Copilot. That's what Google has traditionally done as well with their uh, suite of applications. And uh, frankly, um, if, I were, if I was a betting man, I would say that uh, Google and Microsoft are showing basically where the next generation of AI applications are going to go. They're going to vanish. They're going to be integrated. I know that there's a lot of talk that Apple is going to be announcing similar capabilities as well on their platforms. Essentially, um, one has to wonder, what is the future for a chat GPT from a third-party company when uh, first-party uh, companies like Google and Microsoft and Apple are shipping these things. Now, of course, the Microsoft solution integrates uh, ChatGPT technology, and maybe that's the answer to that question. But to me, all of these Gemini announcements say, yeah, yeah, of course that's what Google is doing. Of course that's what all these companies are doing. Let's see them do it. Also, I think the other thing that is that um, by having this stuff be more ubiquitous but also more useful, it basically turns the heat down on a lot of the AI alarmism out there and basically makes this stuff get real. If you're interested in this, uh, tune in for our Utilizing Tech podcast uh, every Monday where we're going to be covering AI this season. And we're also going to be doing this, uh, talking a lot about this stuff at our AI Field Day event, which comes up next week. ESXi free, we hardly knew yet. In a tersely worded knowledge base article, VMware by Broadcom announced the end of availability of the free version of the vSphere hypervisor, more widely known as ESXi. The community is um, predictably, decidedly uh, against this move, citing concerns about the lack of options for home lab and software to allow self-study. Others say that uh, it's forced them to accept changes and move on uh, with this industry-leading platform. And still others are saying, you know what? Maybe we're going to switch to something else. Maybe I'm going to focus on Kubernetes. Maybe I'm going to jump on Proxmox. Tom, uh, what do you think of the end of ESXi Free? Uh, allow me to quote from one of the sages of our time. If you're good at something, never do it for free. The Joker. As funny as it sounds, he's an agent of chaos. And I think that we're starting to see that the chaos from this acquisition is actually dying down. So... Put down your pitchforks and torches, folks. Free hypervisors were an evangelism tool, and Broadcom's done with that. Here's the thing. Everyone who has told me, I don't have a way to build my home lab anymore. What home lab? I don't know a whole lot of people that still have one. If they haven't moved it to the cloud by now, they've shut it down because they never use it. Because a lot of people use on-the-job training as the way to do things. And yeah, okay, your color's draining out of your face because, oh, we should never do anything in production. Crap. Everybody breaks things in production, and that's how you learn. Because when you do it for real, that builds that memory pathway. So let's get that off the table. The real reason that you could always download a free version of the hypervisor was to do two things. One show people how cool vMotion was. This is why you need to buy the product. And two, it was a way to stand up a virtualization environment through shadow IT to get your company to buy off on using VMware. That's why they sold a three-seat license. 
Broadcom doesn't want that anymore. Here's why. We've talked about this for the last two months. They are focusing on the high end of the market, the people who have a deep investment in VMware technologies right now. Do you think that they're going to spend a lot of extra money to pick up a 20-seat company, a 50-seat company? How much money do you think they're going to lose for that opportunity? And it sucks to say it, but I am not thinking about this as a technologist right now. I'm thinking about this as a business person. They are consolidating their offerings to make sure that they're reaching the people with the deepest pockets. And if that means that they have to reduce or eliminate offerings that have no valid use case for them, so be it. Now, putting my technologist hat back on, I hate this because think about all the things that you do that would be great if I could download a hypervisor like uh, a friend of mine was going to be doing a, a training class and all of their VMs are for their like, you know, software solutions were all running on uh, ESXi. So they actually had to roll the system clock back on their system in order to get them to boot up. That sucks. But now's the time to take a very hard look at what you're using this platform for and see what else you could be doing. And yeah, I know, containers aren't easy. Proxmox does cost money, but if you can move most everything over there, it's a much easier solution in the long run because you know Kubernetes is not gonna be uh, suddenly acquired by, I don't know, Microsoft and turned into a paid platform. So it's time to take a look at the handwriting on the wall. Yeah, a lot of people were hoping and praying that this little, uh, aberration got overlooked but i i think it's time that we need to let this go the the no such thing as a free lunch folks um let's it's it's time to focus on where we need to go steven alcyon has announced a new managed service provider partner program the ai driven SaaS backup platform is focused on microsoft 365 and provides peace of mind to companies that have moved to the cloud but they still want to know that their data and files are safe and sound Alcyon's AI pedigree allows MSPs to provide differentiated service offerings as well as full multi-tenancy support. Steven, does an AI-driven data protection platform for Microsoft 365 really resonate with the community right now? I would say so. Um, in fact, I, I gotta say, uh, Alcyon is really impressing me. They, uh, as we talked about back in October, they raised some funding, uh, you know, they're, they're uh, related to uh, Veeam, and uh, I think that there certainly is some uh, speculation out there that this is uh, somehow going to be back, absorbed back into Veeam, but uh, be that as it may, um, I think that what we're seeing here is no less than a new uh, next generation uh, data protection powerhouse being launched. I think that it's important too that companies do it this way because essentially it's really hard to build an entirely new platform while still trying to serve the old customers that you always had. And frankly, there are a lot of really cool, compelling uh, data protection platforms for modern applications out there. That's what Alcyon's building. Um, I love the fact that they're integrating AI in a smart way into the product. I love the fact that they really are focusing on next generation applications first. And this move shows that Alcyon is really serious about getting into that space because the reality of how you sell to MSP customers is you sell through the MSPs themselves. So it makes a lot of sense for Alcyon to be diving in here with both feet. 
Um, clearly, this is a team that knows what they're doing. It also makes a lot of sense to try to bring next generation data protection to the masses by leveraging the capabilities of all these MSPs instead of trying to do it on a you know, direct basis uh, as, a, uh, as a small startup. So all of this makes a lot of sense. I'm really happy to see where Alcyon is going here. Uh, and I can't wait to see what comes next. If you look at the uh, elements of the product, they really have some great stuff in here. Um, you know, they've got uh, a simple way of integrating it, simple way of starting up, uh, you know, multi-tenancy, uh, partner support, all those kind of things, the kind of things that you need in order for this stuff to take off. And, um, you know, kudos to the team. Uh, let's see where they go next. Stephen, we had a story that we wanted to take a closer look at, and if you're in the world of data protection, this was a pretty big news release last week because Cohesity is set to acquire the data protection assets of Veritas in a huge deal. Cohesity will be picking up the net backup portfolio as well as their SaaS offering, Alta. The move is seen as a bolster to Cohesity both in their cloud offerings as well as traditional on-prem enterprise data protection and backup. The deal will merge the two companies. It's now valued at about $3 billion, but the company combined will be worth about $7 billion. The remaining parts of Veritas that aren't picked up in the deal will actually be rebranded as a company called Dataco, and the CEO of Veritas will sit on the board of Cohesity as well as be an advisor. Stephen, this was huge news, and I know that our co-workers over at the Futurum Group have been talking a lot about what this means for the data protection space, but I wanted to get your take on it because you've had a lot of experience with these companies in the past. What does this big merger really mean? Well, if you're not familiar with data protection, I think that it maybe takes some, it's important to take a moment to appreciate the history and the importance of what we're talking about here. So many years ago, uh, when I was just starting my IT career, most uh, open systems were backed up with a product called NetBackup by a company called OpenVision. That was the first backup technology that I implemented uh, as a systems administrator back in the mid-90s. And um, this competed with a product called Backup Exec, uh, Legato, you know, other companies, ADSM, things like that. Um, Veritas acquired OpenVision in 1997 in order to basically consolidate their control over the storage management market. Uh, Veritas was also a key technology in terms of their volume manager, uh, volume replicator, that sort of thing. Essentially, as somebody like me who was an enterprise storage administrator throughout the 90s, Veritas was not just an important company, it was the important company for people like me who were building um, enterprise storage solutions at scale for big, big enterprises. And so when I see the news here, it, it really is important. I mean, this is the, effectively, it would be like a company acquiring an important platform like Windows or, you know, IBM mainframe or, you know, something like that. It, it's that important in terms of the data protection market. NetBackup is, is it. Now, uh, Veritas and Symantec merged uh, in 2004 to 2014. Uh, they demerged. Uh, Veritas has gone its own way. And those of you who aren't aware, since that demerger, Veritas has actually worked extremely hard to bring NetBackup up to modern standards. Uh, it's very, very hard to do this. 
Um, in fact, many companies, uh, what they'll do is they'll use a spin out or an independent company to develop a next generation product because it's just so hard to bring the current generation product up to date. But that's really what Veritas has spent the last, I don't know, uh, seven, eight years doing is bringing their product platform up to date to the extent that now in 2024, uh, net backup is kind of a whole new thing. It's a pretty nice data protection platform, and it's every bit competitive with some of the younger, newer, more nimble startups out there. At the same time, what's happened is we've seen all of these other companies um, appear, uh, including Cohesity. So Cohesity was a company that was launched uh, just in 2013. Uh, this is a company, by the way, that if you look at the Tech Field Day videos, you can see the, the growth and expansion of this company. Uh, again, this is a next generation data protection company. They have been building a tremendous uh, product out there. They're kind of going a different direction than some of the others. They're not building a backup product that competes directly with net backup. And so to have the Cohesity uh, product line, which has been expanded with security features and, and, and so on, to, uh, to have it incorporate the assets of this historic and important and widely used and actually incredibly credible uh, product line from, from the net backup side, well, honestly, it looks really great to me because what we're doing is we're, we're basically bringing together two best of breed solutions here in the market. And it hopefully will continue the development. I think it's important to note, they're not just a, a, acquiring the source code or something. They're basically taking on most of the capabilities of Veritas, most of the things that Veritas has built over the last few years, including software developers, product managers, all this sort of thing. And they're going to marry that with the incredible uh, data protection platform that they've built themselves. It makes a lot of sense to me. Tom, I wonder if you can talk a little bit more about some of the security and sort of non-data protection features here. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that your, your outline of the fact that they, they have done a lot of work at making net backup a very premier solution speaks volumes about the fact that cohesity bought net backup they didn't buy backup exec and and that is a a big deal because when you look at the changing landscape of all of the security that's going on now you have to have a rapidly evolving platform i mean we've talked to a number of companies in the last year or so and the things that they're doing with detection and response go far above and beyond what I would consider to be traditional data retention and restoration. Little things like uh, entropy detection. I can no longer encrypt these files, which means, or I can no longer compress these files, which means they must be encrypted, which means they must have gotten hit by ransomware, which means we need to start a containment procedure. And that's all happening in the background. You get a report going, hey, I think that this uh, volume on this array is compromised. Like that reduces dwell time to hours instead of days or weeks. And I think that that is something that you need to have today to get ahead of where cyber criminals are. I mean, when you look at the number of folks that are A, encrypting your data and then holding it for ransom or B, threatening to steal it and, you know, oh, hey, you know, we're going to release this on the internet. If you don't pay, I mean, it's, it's a pretty good extortion scheme when you think about it. Well, we're going to set aside the folks that are going to release the data for a minute because there's really not a lot you can do there. But if you've encrypted all this data and you know the backups are good, like you, fine, I don't care. Go ahead. Um, you know, I'm not going to pay. That's not an option that you've had in years past, but it only works if you have a somewhat modern backup solution. If you're still, you know, 
I hate to say it, but if you're still backing things up to tape with a program like Backup Exec, you're kind of in trouble because if you're not monitoring those solutions to know, well, yeah, the last time we had a backup that wasn't encrypted was like eight months ago. Like you have to have visibility into the system. And I think that that's one of the things that data protection is really kind of bringing to the forefront is the ability to provide observability and analytics into your backup set, your secondary storage, which is a thing that Cohesity has talked about for a really long time. And I think that part of the driver for this is getting that kind of solution, not only in the cloud, but also on-prem. And, and both of these companies kind of played in both areas. And if you read some of the interviews with, with the Cohesity folks, they'll say that these are complementary solutions. They're not competer, competing solutions. And that's important because they're trying to address a much larger customer base. You're always going to have people that are not going to want to go to the cloud, whether they're hesitant to do it or they just don't have the ability, like highly regulated industries that rely a lot on really good backups. You have people that are going to jump into the cloud with both feet and hope they have a parachute. You have a solution that can address both, can keep the data secure and safe. And I think that cannot be underscored enough that it's not just that the companies want to make sure that they have a good backup they can go to. It's that they have reliable reporting that tells them that this is an immutable backup that hasn't been compromised that I can roll back to in the event that this happens. Because remember, most of these crews that strike you, they can strike in minutes and have a large swath of data just immediately corrupted if you don't have any other security controls in place. And that's what they're counting on, is that they can beat the next backup window so that you don't have an option to roll back to. And I think that that's the key to understanding what Cohesity has been doing. So they were, the whole company was was created and developed in this in this world that ransomware is a thing, that, uh, that data protection isn't just about, oops, I deleted that file, let me get it back, that data protection is a strategic asset for companies. If you look at what Cohesity built, again, they're not just a backup company. This is a company that primarily is building what they call data platform, and it is basically what it sounds like. It's a data platform where you can store and manage data in a variety of ways. Now, certainly, you can use data, you can do data protection on it. They were brought in Data Protect, Pegasus. Uh, you can also do things like uh, ransomware protection. Uh, they have a thing called Fortnox. Well, clearly, uh, data platform is a great platform for storing data and having uh, NetBackup be the one uh, that is going to uh, uh, store data on data platform, well, that's just good for customers. But I think there's another aspect to this too, and that's sort of the go-to-market aspect. So uh, at Gestalt IT, we've always been more focused on sort of what the product is and, and, and how it works and how people are using it than the, the overall market stuff. But now that as part of Futurum Group, we have access to analysts and intelligence as well, um, I'd, I'd like to bring a little bit of that into the conversation here too. So our uh, colleagues and longtime friends, uh, Kimberly Bates and uh, Krista McComber over, over at uh, Futurum Research, uh, they point out that one of the things that this does as well is it instantly makes Cohesity one of the key players in the entire enterprise software market. So with Cohesity and Veritas together, we're talking about a company that's going to have more than 10,000 customers out there. We're talking about a company that's going to have 96 of the Fortune 100 and 80% of the Global 500 as customers. So if you were wondering what the market impact of this combination is, I think it's safe to say it's absolutely massive. 
obviously the deal is going to be expensive. Obviously there's going to be debt. There's going to be all sorts of reasons to be a little bit cautious about what this is going to do to Cohesity as a company. But I think that it is safe to say that this is strapping a rocket to Cohesity. And suddenly Cohesity becomes probably the most important company in the data protection market, which is something that the company has been struggling with, uh, obviously, for a long time, because there's a lot of companies in this market. Well, now there's a lot of companies and there's Cohesity. And I think that that is a real game changer. Well, I can tell you that whatever does happen with this brand new company, we will definitely be covering it here on The Rundown as the news comes out each week at 1230 Eastern Time. But there are some things coming up in the weeks ahead that we wanted to make sure that you were aware of, starting with, uh, Stephen, you've got something going on next week. Indeed, I do. Uh, check out our AI Field Day event, which is going to be live streaming on LinkedIn and our website Wednesday through Friday, uh, February 21st through 23rd. Uh, this event features a full day presented by Intel and their partners, which is going to be incredible. That's Thursday. We've also got other companies presenting. This is a big event. Uh, it is focused on the AI platform. So we're going to have VMware by Broadcom, Solidime, Vast Data, Hammerspace, and Click all presenting as well. So again, tune in for AI Field Day uh, Wednesday through Friday next week, the 24th through the 23rd. And the week after, on February the 28th, we're going to be bringing you the next edition of Networking Field Day. We've got great presentations from companies like Forward Networks and Nile. Um, you can also check out the lineup of delegates that we'll have with us on the website at techfieldday.com. We're very excited to be talking to them and learning about some of the exciting technologies that they're going to be bringing to the table. And then in April, on the 10th and the 11th, is Security Field Day. And as you can tell from a lot of the conversations that we've been having as of late, the security space is heating up very quickly. Now, we are going to be hearing from our friends at Ariaka. Uh, they, this is the second time they've come back to present at Security Field Day. We've got some more exciting companies waiting in the wings. We're just waiting on a couple of things, and then we will be adding them to the website. So please make sure you go to techfieldday.com and click on the link for Security Field Day and get ready to see some of the excitement that's going to be there, not only from the companies and the delegates, but from all of our exciting friends at the Futurum Group that we'll be inviting to take part in those conversations. And in the meantime, you can get more exciting conversations here on the Gestalt IT Rundown from myself and my friend, Mr. Stephen Foskett, as well as our co-host that will be joining us on a week when maybe Stephen's busy doing AI stuff or I'm doing networking stuff. We'll have somebody else sitting in the chair to talk about all the cool stuff in technology. We uh, release our episodes Wednesdays around 1230 Eastern Time, whether it's on our website with all of the show notes at gestaltit.com, on our YouTube channel where you can be notified as soon as the episode goes live. You can also check out the podcast feed if you want to listen to us while you're uh, snowballing your driveway, or hopefully in a couple of weeks you won't be doing that anymore. But um, we'd love your feedback. We'd love you to leave us a like and a rating and let other, everybody else know to you know check out the rundown. Um, those of you who use us as kind of your primary source for news, we sincerely appreciate that. We like to make it fun, and, and hopefully we're providing uh, value and insight into what you do during the day. But for myself, Tom Hollingsworth, for Stephen Foskett, and the great people who work here at Gestalt IT, we will be back next week with another fun, wonderful episode. Until then, take care, stay warm or cool, depending on where you live, and enjoy your Valentine's Day.